0: but it is important to both of us that we're role models for women in the industry.
1: Welcome to The Irresistible Factor, a podcast where I talk to founders and investors and retailers about what it takes to launch successful brands, from developing a compelling proposition and brand identity, to raising capital, to getting distribution and more. My name is Christy Bridges, and I'm a marketing expert with tons of experience and a true love for all things health and wellness. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of The Irresistible Factor. I'm interviewing Jessica Cates today as my guest, and she is the co-founder and managing partner of Relevant Partners. So welcome to the podcast, Jessica. I'm so happy to have you.
0: Thank you so much, Christy. It's so nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
1: Yeah. Um, So why don't we start with just a little bit of background on you. Tell us about your path. Tell us about Relevant and what kind of business you're actually in and and the kind of brands that you talk to.
0: So I founded Relevant with my partner about two years ago, a little over two years ago. And the About, I think, shows that I'm from Canada. Mm -hmm. (laughs) so That will come out a little bit. My background is I think, pretty unique for the space as a private equity investor today. I started very traditionally in finance. So I did the whole investment banking, then private equity, then business school, then hedge fund route. And that was always focused on consumer, retail, restaurants, which is what we're focused on today at Relevant Partners, food and beverage. So I started that way and I did all of that through 2009. And then after the financial crisis, I decided to switch gears and become an operator. And I always knew that I wanted to come back to private equity, but I knew that it would also help me in my private equity career as an investor. Since we focus on working with early stage companies, it's always easier to speak to an entrepreneur, founder, CEO, if you've sat in their seat before, because otherwise they think you're sort of just like a finance person in a suit sitting across the table, telling them what to do, but you've never actually done it. Yep. Yep. So I spent about eight years as an operator. I was the CFO of an online consumer products retailer for about three, three and a half years. And then I became the CEO of a fashion startup in New York, which was completely different, very challenging, but a great experience. And took it from almost infancy with the designer through a pretty sizable company, raised equity for them. So did that for another three years. Came back to private equity about six years ago, six, seven years ago. Before founding Relevant, I was a partner at a firm called TriSpan in their restaurant fund, so continued to hold my experience as a restaurant investor, and then left, uh, left TriSpan in April of 2019 and founded Relevant Partners with my partner, Janice Meyer, and so that's what we've been doing since then. And of course, being a, an investor focused primarily on restaurants, starting right before the pandemic was. Really fun.
1: (laughs) Oh man, sounds like it was really challenging.
0: Yes, it it was challenging. And we spent a lot of time looking at different concepts in the space. We made a small investment right before the pandemic hit. But for the past year and a half, we sort of put the restaurant investing on hold. We focused more on restaurant technology, which was a lot easier to do diligence on and learn about during this time. And then now we're really getting active again and starting to focus again on pulling the trigger on a great pipeline of investments in food and beverage, restaurant technology and restaurants. And we also made an investment in a company called Motif Food Works mm-hmm. a few months ago as part of their series B where we were one of the smaller investors on the cap table. It was led by really sizable institutional investors But we loved being able to participate there because Motif is an interesting company and participates in the food tech space, was spun out of Ginkgo Bioworks, and they focus on the plant-based food industry, which is one of the categories that we were really excited about. Yeah.
1: Well, that's quite a background. I want to ask you a couple of specific questions. When you decided to go and become an operator, did you do that knowing that you'd come back to private equity at some point and, and you wanted the experience, or did you think that was going to be your path?
0: I always sort of thought in the back of my mind that I would come back to private equity. When I started my private equity career, I was at Catterton Partners, which today is a huge firm. When I started there, it was small, it was a consumer fund, and I really loved it. But part of what I loved was when I was with Catterton, and that was pre-business school, so I was pretty young, was working with the companies hands-on and you know, sitting at the, at the board table alongside the CEO and the CFO and really getting your hands dirty and working and actually having an impact on the company. So I sort of, I loved the investor side, but I also really love the company side. So I wanted to try it. And it was just, it was good timing because, you know, the hedge fund I was at wound down. So I I had to do something else. So it was a good time to do something else, but I did always have in the back of my mind that I would come back to private equity because especially in the, in the, industries that I was focused on, like, you know, mostly fashion and retail. It's a very, very different world being on the operating side versus being an investor. And I did miss the deal side of it and also the finance side of it, which was sort of how I started my career and what I've always loved. So I guess, you know, those two experiences were were fantastic, but I did always think I would come back to private equity. Again, unless something like opportunistically had come up, that was just something I couldn't turn down.
1: Yeah. And talk about, so your partner's also a woman. I I heard you say that. So is that challenging or different than than it might be? If you're both men or?
0: Yes, it definitely is. I think the finance industry overall has made progress mm-hmm. and there's been, there's, you know, a much higher percentage of women in the industry overall today than when I started back in 2000. And private equity specifically though, there are still a very, very small percentage of women. Yeah. And it was very important to us to start a female-founded firm. We are not one of those firms that only invest in female-founded businesses, but it is important to both of us that we're role models for women in the industry, and they could see people found a private equity firm that are women, right, that are like them. And again, it won't dictate who we hire, it won't dictate the investments that we make, but just being present and... You know, we try to be as public as we can. Like, I'm you know, I'm so excited about doing this podcast. And then also mm-hmm. we try to speak at conferences that we attend and be on panels just to really showcase that we are a female founded private equity firm in a very heavily male dominated industry. I mean, it is it's it's a I think it, in finance, it's probably one of the least diverse industries. Yes. still today. But what's interesting is that since we focus on early stage companies, so whether it's food and beverage or something in the plant based sector, food technology, restaurant technology, when we since we focus on early stage companies, those founders and entrepreneurs are actually more diverse right, than if we were investing in middle market companies. Yeah. So the people who we ultimately are seeking to partner with are very excited by the fact that we are female founded. And so that's actually helped to a certain degree, which has been great. And we've been getting really good responses, you know, because a lot of the companies that we speak with get approached by so many firms. There's a lot of money out there, right. And there's not as many amazing opportunities. So a lot of the companies that are getting approached by a multitude of these traditional institutional private equity firms, but when we approach them, it's different. And We've been fortunate that we've been getting really great responses from people that we've been reaching out to, that they do want to work with someone who looks more like us, both in terms of just, you know, the diversity, female founded, the fact that we are more likely to be a target consumer of the brands that we're talking to. And so that definitely helped us a little bit.
1: That's awesome. You mentioned things that you were interested in from an investment perspective. Talk about plant-based a little bit, because I think that's a super hot topic right now, and it's sort of all over the place. I think there's confusion among brands and confusion among consumers. What does it really mean? Is it for vegans? Is it for everyone? It's just, there's so much chatter going on right now.
0: Yes, there really is. And that's why we chose Motif as our investment in this space so far. You know, We'll continue to look at other opportunities. But We really love the trends in the plant-based industry. So whether that is a CPG company targeting flexitarians, targeting vegetarians, vegans, that's all very different. We do like to look at the branded companies, but it's so hard to sort of pick a winner, right, in the branded products category, especially since this is a relatively nascent industry. Mm -hmm. There have been a lot of tailwinds, especially in the dairy alternative market, right, with what's happened, you know, even just using Oatly's IPO as an example. There's been plenty of tailwinds there. Um, There are a lot of tailwinds also in the meat alternative market with brands such as Beyond and Impossible. But to sort of sit here today and be able to pick the next winner is very hard, even though we love the category. Yeah. Yeah. So when we had the opportunity to invest in Motif... It was great because Motif makes ingredients across the category. And today they don't have a branded business and they're mostly B2B focused. So Mm -hmm. it's a much more diversified investment where whatever they're making through their amazing technology. And they have an incredible R&D department and just what they're doing overall um, and how they look at the industry. They're able to affect, you know, the meat alternative, the dairy alternative and in fact, products that would be consumed by vegans and vegetarians and flexitarians. And so they have a much broader reach. And so that was something that at this early stage, it really appealed to us as investors, as we continue to get smarter and smarter about the space too. I think at some point, we'll probably also make a bet on a branded CPG business in the space that really stands out to us, You know, maybe just because of the brand equity or the consumer base or the growth that we see. And um, you know, we also I think would be considered part of the flexitarian group, which is a, a much bigger and growing category of that space now. So that also really appeals to us just from um, something that we can relate to. But it's it's just really interesting to see how that category is going to continue to evolve. And I think why we made the investment in Motif was that it was sort of had a broader reach. And that's when I really felt comfortable.
1: That's really interesting and smart because it is confusing for people now. You know, there's the whole vegan side, which is different than the flexitarian. Now the flexitarian, there's a new name called reducitarian or reductitarian, (laughs) however, that and that's still, I think that's the same as flexitarian, but it's interesting because there's so much talk about it. Now this conference that's going on, obviously that's talking about environmental issues is really interesting. So how do you decide what is worth investing in? There's so many, especially at the early stage where you guys are, there's so many founders and so many brands and and even companies like Motif that aren't even branded. How do you decide?
0: Yeah, so that's a really good question. And we, we sort of have a guidebook that I think we always refer back to. At the end of the day, I would say, and I'll talk about them, sort of, it's a number of factors, but the last thing that really is most important is sort of our gut feeling because of my experience in the industry and Janice's experience in the industry. And our experience is pretty complementary. So we have, you know, pretty good viewpoints that come at it from slightly different places that I think allow us to make good gut decisions for a lot of the things we look at. But we probably, turn down like 95% of the opportunities that we see just because we we can't get excited about them, right? So so the first thing that we have to feel is just a passion and excitement about the brand or whatever is the opportunity. And since we do focus on the lower middle market, I would say aside from just having the opportunity itself and the company pass the sniff test in terms of what they're doing and what category they're in, it really starts with the team. Mm-hmm. So when you're, you know, especially for us when we're investing in something that's earlier stage where there is some type of proof of concept, but it hasn't really been fleshed out to an extent that a middle market private equity fund, yeah. it, it's really about the team that's going to help you get to the next phase. Because even if it's, you know, people have great ideas all the time, right? So even if yes. it's an amazing idea or amazing product, or they've gotten a tiny bit of traction or they're getting a lot of press right now for whatever reason in the industry, a lot of these things could ultimately be fads, but what we need to make sure of is that there is some stickiness and it's yeah. more of a trend than a fad. And also that the team that's present at the company can execute. So with the, the restaurant company we had invested in before COVID and that we're about to make another investment in, and we haven't disclosed the name yet, which is why I'm being vague about it. Not only did we love the concept there, but we loved the team. And we thought we could be really great partners to them. You know, as an early stage investor, we still also consider ourselves to be a very strategic investor. Yep. So the fact that, you know, if we feel strongly in the team and we do our diligence on them and believe that they can really be successful with or without us, but then taking that to the next stage, we want them to be successful with us, right? We want to be able to provide some strategic value add. And they also have to want that. So we're, we are not irrelevant. We're not the type of investors who are purely financial investors who are going to write a check, sort of have carte blanche and then walk away. Mm-hmm. We want to be really involved, but we also want to make sure that the company wants us to be involved. And sometimes it's very apparent at the beginning that they just want someone to write a check and they yeah. don't want to tell them what to do. Sometimes they say that they want to partner, but then during diligence, it comes out that they sort of really don't. And then the best case scenario where we would ultimately pull the trigger on investment is where they truly do want a collaborative partner who will help them with the business and where they can admit there are certain areas where they need help. Yeah. So that was the case with this restaurant concept. Similarly with Motif, I've been fortunate enough to be working as the interim CFO of Motif also for the past year and got to know the team really well. The entire C-suite is fantastic. The company has grown almost three X in terms of the number of people since we started the fundraise. out wow. there. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. And now, and it's just an extremely strong and unique team, especially on the, the tech side and the development side of the business. And that's what we always look to, to, to see if something, you know, if we can make a bet on something to be successful.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So I would say that, you know, definitely number one, two, and three is the team, especially since we're early stage investors making sure that again we can collaborate with entrepreneurs or founders because those are the people who are still running the business at this early stage and that they want someone who would sit on the board and really help them. And then whether it's a food and beverage company or a restaurant company or restaurant technology or food tech, there are certain metrics that we look for,
1: mm-hmm. right?
0: You know, just like typical, you know, KPIs or metrics that we look at in terms of their PL or their, their run rate the the profitability metrics aren't as important at this early stage because they're so early and we do want investment in the foundation of the company so if you're you know low revenue business but you're you're still going to be building up the overhead so you're not going to be profitable we don't care about that as much it's more about seeing trends in top line you know as an example and just mm-hmm. showing that there is some type of proof of concept or they're starting to build a loyal customer base where we can see the growth potential really taking off, so that's also something like you know we'll always look at the the P and L and the numbers, but more high level at this early stage. Yeah. And if they need help improving gross profit margin or prime profit margin or anything like that, that's an area where we can come in and help. Yeah. So if it's not as great as it should be, you know, we don't we don't cross it off the list necessarily. And then again, besides sort of finishing off with like a gut check, I would say that the white space where they have to grow is really important for us. So we do a ton of diligence on the industry, again, whatever an industry it may fall into, where there's not a clear brand leader, again, whether it's a retail concept or a food and beverage, CPG type concept. And there's enough white space where there's plenty of room for that company to grow either in its own market or in neighboring markets or nationwide,
1: where we feel like
0: we could be helpful in, in helping it achieve that growth.
1: Yeah.
0: And then ultimately looking at sort of if you're taking it from this phase to the next, what happens then after that? And is there still going to be substantial room to grow for the next 10, 15 years?
1: Yeah. When when you say you partner, right, you want to collaborate with brands and you want people who are open to that, which I think is awesome. And I think it does feel obvious when, when people don't want that, what do you do? Like what kinds of things do you do with the brands that you're working with that help them grow?
0: So it depends on the company. So if it's a retail company versus let's say a CPG company, it just, I guess something that ties both of those would be helping them to open doors, helping Mm -hmm. them to grow. But what we try to do before we ever would close a deal Again, because what you just said is so true, people will say, oh yeah, I'm so excited to have a partner. And then they just want you to go away because they're like, this is my business, why are you telling me to? We try to spend a lot of time with the founders and the management team before we we do a deal and get to know them and spend a lot of in-person time. But the other thing we do, and I think this is different from more traditional private equity firms is we build our business models or operating models, right, which have an extensive growth plan within them but we share it with the company. So we don't just have our own proprietary model that we sort of hold close to the vest, and we don't share with anyone. We don't let them know what's, what we're thinking. We want that to be collaborative right away because if they see what we're thinking and we can sort of go back and forth and have an iterative process on what this model would ultimately look like, you can get a sense right there if you're on the same page thinking over the next, you know, five, seven years. So that's definitely something that we like to work on together. And I don't think a lot of financial investors do that because a lot of, you know, they they just sort of put their model together that they're showing to their investment committee, but it's not something that they actually would share with, with the company. But I think it's so important to get on the same page there. And then, you know, what Janice and I have in our network is just a huge network of potential operating partners across categories and across industries so if we don't feel like we have enough expertise, there's certainly no pride of ownership. We'll put in whoever we need to, to either sit on the board or be an advisor, whether it's an operating capacity, strategy, finance, real estate, and again, just do whatever we can to be helpful to the company. In terms of real estate or growth overall, you know, real estate is obviously specific to a restaurant investment, but we like to help the companies not make mistakes So early stage companies that get growth capital, which is what we focus on in our investment strategy, the biggest mistakes they make and the most expensive mistakes is taking that growth capital and opening stores where they probably shouldn't, right? So you're losing all that money on the the store opening costs, plus everything that goes along with that. Or if you're on the food tech or CPG side, trying to get in with new partners. If it's a CPG company, trying to open new doors, whether it's traditional grocery or other retail outlet outlets and we just try to make sure they, they don't make mistakes. So a lot of times these early stage companies, if they didn't have an institutional investor or professional investor sitting alongside them, they use their gut, right? So they're like, oh, I grew up in yeah. this area, so we should just, this is a good yep. Or, you know, I went to school here, it'd be so much fun if we had a restaurant here. Like, yeah. <laughs> No, <laughs> that's yeah. the wrong way to make that decision. So we help instill some type of structure and and use data analytics and work with them to make sure that, you know, we're spending the money in the most efficient way to drive the, the greatest value for the company.
1: Yeah. Tell me about your favorite, either your favorite investments or brands that you've watched and said, oh, I wish, I wish I had invested in that one. Or, you know, I just want to get a sense of what kinds of things are interesting to you guys.
0: Well... Part of, I would say this is pretty relevant because we've only made two investments so far. And one of them, we can't, I can't even talk about because it's confidential still. So Motif is definitely one of my favorites yeah. because that's just so different and they're doing something that no other company is doing. Another favorite investment of mine is Yardbird, which is a restaurant brand. I invested in that when I was at TriSpan. They, are, they were one of my favorite restaurants way back in the day. They started, at least they opened their first restaurant in 2011. That's just one of my favorite, just, you know, being a restaurant investor is so much fun because you get to run around and trial the food and, and Yarbor, which is a sort of polished, casual Southern cuisine restaurant is one of my favorites. And it was also my first investment at Trispen as a partner. So that is sort of near and dear to my heart, but that's a good example of a concept where there's a lot of white space, right? So you don't see a lot of direct comps, direct competitors to yeah. a the food is fantastic. It's food that's appealing to everyone. It's craveable, which is something we also focus a lot on in the space. Like you're thinking about it, and it's yeah. not just a place where you'll go back to once a year. It's like okay, you'll go back to a Yardbird or some type of restaurant like that once a month. Mm-hmm. You're thinking about it, and you really can't get it anywhere else. And there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of areas where they could have they could improve through real estate expansion and also through the value add that we were able to provide as investors. So that was one that was really exciting for me. And Janice and I right now are looking at some things that, are, that sort of encompass like restaurant technology, other opportunities in the restaurant space. The one we're about to invest in, and maybe I'll just shoot you a note after we close that investment, is one of my all-time favorites. We're really excited. It, it fits squarely with everything we've been talking about, where we think there's just so much opportunity for them to become a category leader and there's no awesome. direct goals right now. And then, you know, other things that we've learned about, if you look at the technology side of the world, as it touches really any type sort of consumer business is where are the pain points? Yeah. Right. So so you and I as consumers that are you know, front of house consumers, let's say to a restaurant or all these businesses that have their back of house pain points, whether it's on improving the ordering process, right, food ordering or supply ordering or managing labor, which is mm-hmm. such a huge industry, yes. is every, uh, issue for every industry right now. If there are technologies that help improve the efficiency and reduce the pain points there, but not only just do that, but actually improve margins because of what they're doing. And you know, if you think about hiring people, the hiring process is so long and it's so costly. So if there's something that could help fix that, then that's great. Mm-hmm. On the scheduling side, if you're able to use forecasting as opposed to just having you know, a human, a manager saying, okay, yep. we're going schedule four people this day and five people, well, why are you scheduling it that way? Yep. And even it to, to look at it deeper and saying, okay, based on the weather forecast, even though this day last year was really successful from a sales perspective, we actually think it's not going to be this way because of the weather this year. Then you, you just use these technologies to help you run your business. And so we've become a lot smarter about that space over the past year and a half because of the diligence we've been doing but also even just speaking to operators in the food and beverage space in in the health space, in restaurants, you just get to learn what the pain points are. And so if there are technologies that are slowly becoming the category leader, that's something that we also get really excited about. And we're hoping to pull the trigger on a couple of those again awesome. in this era, the next three to six months. So that would be something that we'd be really excited to add to our portfolio.
1: Yeah. That's awesome. I want to ask you, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I want to ask you if you think about what would you tell founders who are cuz you're at the early stage. So you are at the place where people are making lots of mistakes and also are really excited and don't really know what's ahead of them yet. What would you tell them as as advice? What what one or two things would you say you've got to think about it this way or you have to be ready for this?
0: I would say the number one thing And it's so hard to do because these companies are early stage, but it's to really try to have a focused growth strategy. And sometimes, you know, if you're a branded company, you get opportunities to go into grocery stores, let's say in markets that you never contemplated, but it's opportunistic. Mm -hmm. Or as a restaurant company, if landlords approach you to go into their properties maybe not your core market and other markets. And they, they, they really try to promote it to you. It just sounds like an amazing opportunity because they're giving you CapEx dollars, right? They're, they're enticing you to go there. I think it's so easy for entrepreneurs to get swayed by those opportunistic things that come up. Absolutely. Because it also is, you know, in their mind, and it's true, it's really giving credibility to what they've established. So they're like, well, why, why shouldn't I do that? hmm so I think it's important really from day one to to have some sense of what your growth strategy should be so that if you see something that comes up that may be really exciting or enticing, that you don't stray from your growth too much because that could lead you to those early mistakes. Yeah. So a lot of times, you know, when we meet restaurateurs and there's either one or two co-founders. Who have no bandwidth to do anything else, right? They're they're really scrappy and they're, they don't have a big team. They should expand in their core market. There's no reason for them to open quote unquote flagship locations in cities all around the world because they're going to only end up spending all their time on a plane. Yeah, it's easy, and they think it's good because it's marketing and you're opening a new location somewhere else. But if you can't manage it, then ultimately it's going to hurt the brand. Yeah. And similarly, for any type of CPG company or food and beverage is to make sure what you're doing is is on point with your strategy and also works simultaneously to improve the brand equity, because that's the only thing that you can really speak to at these early stages, right? You can't talk to investors and say, well, we're super profitable or we're making cash flow or that's not going to happen. It's really about we know what our brand's about. We know what we stand for. Everything we've done to this point, it's consistent with that mission. And we've really stayed on this path to keep emphasizing that. And we've had a a smart growth strategy. You know, another thing entrepreneurs like to do sometimes is growing too quickly. Yeah. But to have it be a little bit more restrained so that it continues to be a smart growth strategy. So when you're at the point where someone is ready to invest or where you're ready to take investment, you've shown that even though you're young, you really know what you're doing. Someone should bet on you and you've made a lot of smart decisions to date. It's okay to make mistakes, you know, but let's say most of the decisions have been smart. And then all you need at this point is a a partner to help you then take everything to the next level. Yep. Yep.
1: I think that's awesome. And I think, you know, I've heard people talk about focus a lot, but I've never heard anyone say, use restraint. And I think that's so important because It is wild, right? You get opportunities and you're excited and you're like, I can do it. And then someone comes and says, why don't you do it this way? And you're like, yes. And then someone else is like, do it over here. And it's hard to restrain yourself. And I think that you don't even think about that word because it feels counterintuitive to growth, right? In a way. But I love that you said that because I think that's important. And I think a lot of people, you know, get lost in the, in the, opportunities and the innovation and all the things that don't need to happen at the beginning yes. that are diversions from focus. And so I think that's really a great, great piece of advice. I'm glad you said it that way because I, I haven't heard anybody say it that way. And I think it's one of the most important things and one of the reasons that brands who could be really successful sometimes aren't.
0: Right. Yeah. That's right. And it's a shame to see that happen. Yeah. But it's so common. Yeah. Um, so so and it's hard to to do that, right? It's hard to say we're actually going to not take this opportunity or slow yeah. down a little bit. But in the long run, and and always, you know, to have that long term focus in the long run, that's going to make you more successful.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. That's really, I mean, I think that's a great, great way to wrap. I love that piece of advice. I hope everyone hears it and takes it because I do think that it's one of the biggest mistakes people make. And you know, you guys are looking at a lot of brands, and like you said, you turn down ninety five percent of the things you see that's that's rough, right? That's, For a brand, good Lord, that's rough. So I think it's really important that people hear what makes something really truly attractive to an investor because that's where the growth is obviously gonna come from. And I love that you partner. I think that's really important. And I, I also think I've heard a lot of stories where people just picked the wrong investors or the wrong private equity firms because they just wanted money. And then they wound up in a relationship that they were stuck in and they didn't like it. And so I think that that's also really important.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's right. It's a relationship. So you have to yeah. think of it. like you're literally getting married to this yeah. partner. Yes. Because you'll work with them, let's say at least for five years and you find out about a person, right. When things are not going well. So yeah. you have to make sure that this is someone you want to be in a relationship with for at least yeah, five years. But-
1: I think that's another good way to look at it because it's hard to get out of it once you're in it. Yes. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, And it's not fun when you're in a, one of those. I mean, just like any relationship, when you want out, you want out.
0: <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly.
1: Oh God, interesting. Well, thank you so much. I think this has been fantastic and I can't wait to get it posted and have people listen to it. I think you have such really good advice and I love the space that you guys are in. And I think it's interesting that you're not necessarily running after brands like you're thinking about what what makes sense and I think that's really cool so I'm really happy for you
0: yeah and one other thing that I'll just say just to plug relevant partners is that yeah. if anyone wants to reach out to us even if you're you know I think you're way too early and just to get advice okay you know, get there um I, I think you'll share the contact info but we're, we're always happy to take calls even if people aren't ready to, to take a step in terms of getting an investment, but just want to talk through some things. Um, Janice and I are always happy to, to give our time for that.
1: Cool. I think that's really great because I think people do get nervous and they, when they think, well, I don't really want money yet, but I don't know exactly what to do. So I think that's really helpful. And I probably have a bunch of people I could actually connect you with that are in that place where they are sort of like, I don't know, am I ready? Am I not ready? What do I do? So I think that's great. I'll share your contact info for sure.
0: Okay. Great. All right. Thank awesome. you so much, Christy. Yeah, thank you.
1: Thank you for listening to The Irresistible Factor. I'm Christy Bridges, and I can't wait to see you next Wednesday.